0: You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to au. Father, Lord, we lift up hand to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that he's, he's prepared a message, Father, from your heart, Father, Lord. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you open our hearts, Lord, to receive, Father, Lord, and And we just pray, Lord, that you work for us, Lord. And as Ian speaks, Lord, we just pray you have the confidence, Lord, and um, just bless him through this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mike. And thank you, everyone. Get myself ready. If you'd like to open your Bibles up, put your fingers in... John chapter One we're getting towards the end of John chapter One. It's been a long journey. This is number twelve. One more next week should finish it off. God willing um, verses forty three to fifty one we'll be looking at specifically, but I'll go uh to Genesis before we get there so um, Lord today. As we look at the life of Nathaniel and what you had to say about Nathaniel, Lord, I pray that you'll open up your word to us, teach us, inspire us, challenge us, convict us, Lord, as we compare ourselves to Nathaniel, and especially as we compare ourselves to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. There are a few people in the Bible who are described by God in glowing terms in terms that I'm sure you'd all love God to use of you. One of them, David, springs immediately to mind. You're all aware that uh, he was described as a man after God's own heart. God called him that despite his weaknesses and his failings and his sin. Wouldn't you like God to say that about you, a man or a woman after God's own heart? He called the people Israel, the people he chose for himself, the people he raised up, the apple of my eye. In fact, David claimed that title for himself and he said in Psalm 17:8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Good and faithful servant is another term I'd like to hear God say about me one day. I'm sure you would like to hear God say that about you too. Let's face it, we all slog on day after day wondering if anything we do makes any difference, let me assure you that it does. Even if you see no immediate results from your faithful service, it makes a difference. In fact, you may need, may see no visible results in this lifetime. While God is always present in the moment, he is also present Outside of that moment, he's not confined to that moment because he lives in eternity and he looks at our lives from an eternal perspective. And he uses our lives from his eternal perspective. So he uses our lives to achieve things in generations to come after us, which is a pretty amazing and an inspiring thought that means that what we do with our lives here today and in this coming week, months and years, has an impact for generations, hundreds, maybe thousands of years to come. You look at the Apostle Paul, for example, 2,000 years ago, and the impact his teaching, his conversion and his life and his teaching has had is just staggering, it is mind-blowing. And there's no reason, actually, why God won't use any one of us, as inconspicuous as we are, to achieve the same sort of impact for generations to come. So we can have confidence that one day we'll be standing face to face with the Lord and he will say of each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that a nice thought? Sometimes God takes the name a person was given and he changes it to reflect a new purpose in their life. Abram, for example, means high father. But God renamed him Abraham, meaning father of many nations. Abraham was a hundred years old when God changed his name. Age is no barrier to God. Another significant name change and one that sheds some light on our passage today is that of Jacob. Jacob was the twin brother of Esau. At their birth Esau was born first. Then Jacob came out hanging on to his brother's heel. As if he wanted to pull Esau back into the womb and get out first. So they named him Jacob which means in the Hebrew language heel grasper or a term that might mean a little bit more to us supplanter or conman. We don't think much about the significance of the name Jacob today. We don't think about much about the significance of any names really. We don't usually name our kids based on what the meaning of their names are and probably some of you don't even know what your name means um, I looked up many years ago what my name means and John's as well and uh, various other versions of that means God is gracious and I think it's a beautiful name to be called God is gracious I love that so any versions of, of John or Ian or Joanne or um, Johanna names like that and and uh, Jean, the French name, and probably Ivan, the Russian name, things like that, mean God is gracious. So um, I'd encourage you, if you've never looked up what your name means, have a look and see. Yeah, Merrily knows. Warrior. Warrior. He's warrior. <laughs> there you go. So the name Jacob doesn't mean very much to us as far as its meaning goes. It's a nice name and it's a fairly common name for someone to call their baby son today. But to the Hebrews, the name Jacob meant deceiver. How would you like to go through life known as deceiver, con man, untrustworthy? And Jacob lived up to his name. His life was marked by deception. He gave it out when he tricked Esau, his twin brother, into giving up his birthright and to giving up the blessing that he was entitled to as the firstborn son. And he received it back when he wanted to get married. He worked for free for his uncle Laban for seven years to get Rebecca's hand in marriage, Laban's daughter. But on the wedding night, Uncle Laban tricked him and snuck the older sister Leah into the marriage bed first and Jacob had to work for another seven years to get Rebecca's hand in marriage. I can't imagine Leah felt very good about that. Jacob tricked his brother, he tricked his father, he tricked his uncle to become his father-in-law and Jacob got what he deserved. Some people would call it karma, I would call it reaping and sowing. You sow deception, you reap deception. But we can make a connection between heel grasper and an earlier, earlier event in Bible history. Back in the Garden of Eden, you'll recall, the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And the Lord announced the coming saviour and he told Satan, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that is Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know that Satan, that serpent, is the great deceiver. But his power is gained entirely from lies and deception. He did it successfully in the Garden of Eden. He tried it on Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. He used deception to ensure that Jesus was crucified and he continues his campaign of lies and deception to this very day. Satan continues to grasp the heel. It's important for us to take notice of that for lies and deception cause many of the problems we face and many of the problems we create for ourselves come out of our lies and our deception. Have you ever known someone whose automatic response to a question was to think up a lie? I have. I've known someone like that. A a person who was asked, can you come and do such and such on a certain day? This person already had a previous booking, a legitimate appointment and uh, couldn't come on that particular day. But her first response was to think up a lie to cover up for it. And I can't i never forget thinking to myself, the truth is perfect. It's a perfect excuse, but your natural response is to think up a lie. It must be exhausting to live like that. It must be exhausting to try and remember who you told which lie to. That's not the life for me. Thanks, but no thanks. Anyway, Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel a name that means wrestles with God. The story in Genesis, which if you want to have a look at it, Genesis 32, 22 it starts. The story in Genesis tells us that on his way back home from Uncle Laban's place with his two wives, his 11 children, his servants and all his livestock, he wrestled with God. Jacob had spent 20 years working for Uncle Laban, most of it for free. And on his way back home, he wrestled with God. So... Genesis 32, the same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. It's a strange story. We never find out just how Jacob wrestled with God. It seems from the description to have been a physical wrestling as man on man, and yet this man must have been God it doesn't seem that it was a, an assault, an attack. It doesn't seem that there was any violence intended in spite of the fact that he touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it or whatever and Jacob walked for, with a limp for the rest of his life. But it doesn't seem that there was any violence intended. It's a really strange story. But this event became a turning point in Jacob's life and it's where the name of the modern nation Israel comes from. Before we, uh, we look at that any further, let's have a look at our passage in John today. And in this passage we see Jesus called Nathanael, a true Israelite, in whom there is no deception. Starting at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. What does it mean to be a true Israelite? You don't have to read very far in the Bible to see that very few Israelites in history fit the description that Jesus had of of Nathanael, a man in whom there is no deceit. With rare and notable exceptions, they continue to imitate Jacob the deceiver rather than Israel, the one who wrestled with God. Even David, the man after God's own heart, was not blameless he committed adultery with the wife of one of his most most faithful leaders and then he covered his adultery with murder and he pretended to be innocent until he was confronted with his his sin by the prophet nathan biblical history is filled with people israelites in name only who honor me with their lips but whose hearts are far from me as jesus said in mark 7 The Apostle Paul made it clear that being a true Israelite has nothing to do with ancestry and has everything to do with the heart. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, Paul said in Romans 9. A true Israelite is one who is an Israelite inwardly, not outwardly. Israelites were known by their circumcision. It was an external mark that belonged to the people of Yahweh, the creator of all things. But it was a physical mark that pointed to a much greater spiritual truth. Cutting off the foreskin was meant to symbolise being cut off from sin. For no one is a Jew, Paul says in Romans 2, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Circumcision of the flesh is meaningless in the sight of God if it isn't also accompanied by circumcision of the heart. In fact, it's worse than meaningless. It becomes a cause of judgment before God. Paul also said in Romans 2, being circumcised is worthwhile if you obey the law. But if you don't obey the law you are no better off than people who are not circumcised. In fact, if they obey the law, they are as good as anyone who is circumcised. So everyone who obeys the law but has never been circumcised will condemn you. Lest you think it only applies to Jews in centuries past, the same warning applies to all those who are religious today but not actually saved, not born again those who go to church regularly, who give to charity and help little old ladies across the street. Those things are good and necessary things to do, but unless your heart is circumcised, unless your heart has been changed, unless you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, these apparently good works will actually condemn you on that great and final day when Jesus comes to re- comes back to judge the living and the dead. <coughs> So to be a true Israelite is to be pure of heart, pure of motive, free from deceit, free from guile as the old King James Version puts it. If you don't know that word, G-U-I-L-E, guile, I love that old word guile. Even though it means simply means deceit, trickery, craftiness, it seems to me to suggest something a little bit more than that. To me it suggests a slyness, a cunning. It's a sneaky, even a sleazy attempt to appear to be the opposite of what you actually are, guile. Speaks to me of the deception of our great enemy, Satan. Makes me think of the trickery in the Garden of Eden where he said, did God really say? Or of his lies to Jesus, if you are really the son of God, I'm reminded of his deception towards us. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Nathaniel was a man without guile. There was not a deceitful bone in Nathaniel's body. What you saw was what you got. You knew when you talked to Nathaniel that he wasn't trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He wasn't trying to gain an advantage over you. When Nathaniel said yes, he meant yes. When Nathaniel said no, he meant no. Does that remind you of the scripture? Let your yes be yes, Jesus said, and your no be no. Whatever is more than these is of the evil one. Sadly though, de- deceit is our default position. The heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah said and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? But wouldn't it be wonderful to be described as a man or a woman without guile? No hidden motives, no agendas, no scheming for advantage over the other person. How refreshing would it be to have a friend like that? How nice would it be to be a friend like that to other people? How freeing would it be not to have to remember what lies you're told to which person. Before we go on let me tell you some of the benefits according to scripture of being a man or a woman without guile. Psalm 32 says Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 73 says truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, for they shall see God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, James 4. And who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, Psalm 24? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So how do we become Nathanaels? How do we become men and women without guile, without deception? How do we we become true Israelites in the sight of God and in the sight of men? You'll notice that Jesus described Nathanael as a man without guile, but not as a man without guilt. There's a world of difference. For we all stand guilty before God for our sin. We stand rightly and justly condemned in our human nature as rebels, as enemies of God. But the cross of Christ can deal with all of that. Repent of your sin, put your trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin. And as he has promised to do, he will give you a fresh heart and a fresh start. Then if you've done that today or at some time in the past, the next thing to do is examine your life and examine your heart. Listen to yourself speak. Are you straightforward and honest with people? Or are you always covering something up? Only giving enough of the answer that you gain or maintain an advantage over the other person. Your words give you away, for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Few of us are innocent of this charge. This doesn't mean though that the person without guile will always and only speak wise and edifying words. We all slip up, we all get sucked into our old patterns and habits. But our goal should always be the wise and edifying words. One commentator has said, Though in many things he is foolish and forgetful, yet in nothing is he false or wickedly departing from God. Thankfully our foolishness doesn't negate the grace of God towards us. In the same psalm that David called himself the apple of God's eye, he also declared, I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. There's a choice we can make about how we live our lives and how we use our mouths. It's a set of conviction that we will re- reflect Christ with our lives. Peter has good advice for us. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is Peter also says whoever desires to love life and see good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil Paul says put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. And Paul also says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouths. And in Hebrews it tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Put away, put off, keep from, turn away from, put to death, lay aside, put on. None of these words are suggestions, you'll notice. Each one is a command. Put away, put off, keep from, but put on. This is one area in our lives where we can truly show the effect that Christ has had on us. For when we live a life without guile, we reflect him perfectly. They made his grave with a wicker, it says in Isaiah 53, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The one we claim to follow, the one in whose image we are being remade, was without deceit. Let us all make a conscious decision to be the same. Wouldn't you love Jesus to say of you one day, Behold a man, a woman in whom there was no guile. I find that thought stirring. It's inspirational. It's something I aspire to. I hope you do too. Unfortunately, I look at my own life, I look at my own heart, my own actions, my own words and I find it hard to imagine Jesus ever saying that about me. I seem to be more like Jacob than Israel. Do you ever feel the same way? Nathaniel, though, was an open book. His was an attitude and a pattern for living that we are called to. I know we live in a dog eat dog society. To live like that, to live like Nathaniel, is to set yourself up for manipulation, for exploitation, and for abuse. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they will do, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. They will speak against you, but you... Keep your conduct honourable. There will always be the risk, and it's not a risk, it's a certainty, that the ungodly will try to exploit the simplicity of your faith and your life. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be exploited. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he sent us into the world. sent us in, Uh, when he said behold I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves we are to be wise even as we are without guile we don't have to be suckers that brings no glory to God but we do have a calling to live to a higher standard than that of the world have you wrestled with God Have you surrendered your own life, your sin and your rebellion to him? Have you put your trust in him? Has your name been changed from Jacob to Israel, from deceiver to true Israelite? You'll never become this person of honour and praise from God in your own strength. You need his strength. You need the Holy Spirit to be working that in you. Friends, if you've been born again, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you've all been given a new name. And with that new name comes a new heart cleansed from sin and a new nature. And it's out of that new nature that we're called to now live. But what do we do when we sin, which we inevitably will do? We do it so often and so willingly that surely it's impossible to be known as a person in whom there is no guile. Can I suggest that when that happens, you begin with David's prayer and his plea in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, Lord, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me. The joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your praises and your righteousness. I seem to finish many of these sermons with a call to holy living. And this one's no different. Scripture calls us over and over and over again to holiness. There's no place in God's kingdom for hypocrisy, for deception and for disobedience. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit is in the process of conforming us to the image of Christ in whose mouth there was no deceit. Friends, can I ask you as I close now, Maybe close your eyes for a moment. Can I ask you to examine your hearts? Determine that from this day onwards you will live your life as a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. One day then it will be spoken of you what was spoken of those around the throne of God in Revelation 14. In their mouth no lie was found for they are blameless to the eternal glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for men like Nathaniel, men whose hearts and thoughts are fixed on you, men in whom there is no guile, men in whom there is control of the tongue. Lord, we are convicted when we compare ourselves with Nathaniel. We are convicted when we look into the perfect mirror of your word. Lord, we pray that you will continue to work in us to conform us to your image. And we choose, with your help, Lord, to live our lives without deceit and without hypocrisy. To your glory and in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.